is a Zerbinator Land production. Enjoy. Everything farts. What does that sound like? You know how every time something is like really small, it always sounds super high pitched? Right. So do you think only dogs can hear fleas fart? I would think that they would, they'd hear this. You know what's funny is I was in the kitchen once, and you know how you get a trail of ants? I knew that one of them did, had a bad cold because if you listen really closely, you heard. Yeah? Yeah. Well, so they cute. shouldn't have been picking up those pepper flakes, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Oh, we're recording, Lewis. Hey, it's Theatercast. Oh my gosh. Hey, hello and welcome to episode seven. Congratulations, we made it this far. No, episode seven, really? Episode seven of Theatercast. Get, Pre- the, get out of here. What was episode six? Episode six happened to be Young Frankenstein. Why'd you have that put up on the internet as episode five? Did I? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a freaking moron. Let's take a look and take a look and... I think this is episode six. Don't fool. Don't be stupid, Kevin, if I am. Ah! I count five there. Hello and welcome to episode six of Please Stand By. No, it's theater cast, you monkey. Oh, shit. <laughs> Don't drink by, uh, Bailey's pumpkin spice before you come to record a show. You had about as much Bailey's uh, pumpkin spice as would fit in the cap of mouthwash. With no breakfast. Half of that, And actually. took my pills right before I picked you up. Oh, excuses, excuses. Don't mix Bailey's with your breakfast pills. Yeah, don't mix a thimble's worth of Bailey's with pills. <laughs> Welcome to episode six of Theatercast. Yeah, episode six. It. Hey, you know what I find really interesting about this? Yeah. Every episode that we do of this series, every episode becomes a smaller percentage of all of the total episodes that we've done. So, for example, when we only had one episode up, that was 100% of all the episodes we had done. Then when we had two episodes up, that second episode was 50% of all the episodes we had up. The third one, 33%. The fourth one, 25 Pre-recorded live here in the heart of Connecticut. I can keep going. In Mac Studios. Tonight, we're going to discuss Blade Runner. 17%. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so get your tickets, grab your popcorn and drinks, and take your seat, because the show is is about to begin. Here's Johnny. You can't handle the truth. For theater, theater. I'm funny how? I'm funny like I'm a clown. I abuse you. With Lewis. Get busy living or get busy dying. Get your attention. Get your attention. I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. Are you going to plagiarize the whole thing for us? For theater cats. Oh, wait, do we have a theme song? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. It's going to play right now over what I just started because that's ridiculous. I have to do something first before we begin. What's that? What are you doing? I want to just ask you a couple questions. All right. I mean... A tortoise I... is lying on its back. Yeah. I put it there. And if you notice the tortoise is there and there's nothing you can do about it, and it's going to die on its back there, Kick Lewis. it. 
I'm sorry, is this multiple choice? You come home. It's, they're just questions. Okay, man. I'm sorry. I'm a little nervous, you know. 12595 North Main Street. No, I already had an employee evaluation, man. Don't worry. This is just a couple of questions. Okay. 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 Last question. Your mother. Yeah? She lives in Middletown. You know what? Let me tell you about my mother. Ouch! Oi! Uh, That hurt. I guess I gotta shoot you again. Ouch! Alright, I should probably aim for some vital organs. Jerry's chiming in. (laughs) That's for sure. Don't shoot the kitty. Alright, you're not a replicant because your eyes aren't doing that thing that cats do at night when you come in the bathroom. Oh, like that shine thing? Yeah. You know, I wasn't sure exactly what they were actually trying to look for, whether it was a lack of response or whether it was a total response. Of course, anyone who's listening to this podcast and hasn't actually seen Blade Runner, why? Why are you listening to this podcast (laughs) if you haven't watched Blade Runner? Have you not realized this is a podcast about movies? We let you know in advance what the movie's going to be. Watch the movie first. Only dorks would have not seen this movie until today. Come along for the journey. (laughs) I haven't seen the movie until today. That's fine. You okay. still saw the movie. Yeah, today was my first time watching Blade Runner. I am 47 years old. And I saw Blade Runner years ago, but then again, I'm a nerd. So <laughs> This movie came out in 1982 when I was 12, and you were? Not born yet. <laughs> no one was even thinking about making me yet. Not even a conception. No, no conception, nothing at all. Uh, what'd they call it? My incept date was five years in the future. (laughs) And this movie takes place in the future. It does take place in the future, yes. The gentleman in the movie, I don't want to jump in, but I got to say it, the gentleman that uh, just shot me, if this was the movie, was incepted this year in April 2017. Yeah, so this movie was made in 1982, and they placed it in the year... 2019. That's when all the action in this movie takes place. Two years from now. So, I mean, what would that have even been from 1982? That would have been 35 years in the future? That's what I just said. Yeah. So, they imagined a future that's a little different than the one we currently have. Not too far off, though. In some aspects, not too far off. And in other aspects, uh, we we are much worse off. (laughs) Trump is still president in the movie. Trump is definitely president in the movie, although they don't ever mention it, but we're pretty positive that he is. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of, uh, what, Japanese? A lot of Japanese people around. Tons of Japanese. But Daryl Hannah's hair resembled that of Trump. That's true. So, it told me enough. (laughs) Point being... um, yeah, th- this movie takes place in the future. I'm doing air quotes right now. Right. Oh, and so. just just so you know, when I was checking Lewis and giving him the test, I did have a flashlight on his eyeball. He was beaming me right in my eyeball. <laughs> so I had to do it. <laughs> I'm still seeing spots. <laughs> oh golly! But so please. 2019, uh, two years from now. So I guess we have two years to catch up to all the weird uh, flying car technology and uh, mega cities uh, that exist in in the Blade Runner universe. Yeah. So uh, fiery towers. Yeah, get started, scientists. What are you doing? Spray paint for eyes. There's <laughs> spray paint eyes, and everyone in this movie was dressed like they just walked out of a steampunk convention. <laughs> exactly. And we can we can do that. There's plenty of those going around. It was so. amazing. <laughs> This movie is amazing, actually. Completely. 
It's uh, it's it's in the top five of my favorite movies of all time. We already did another top five of mine uh, in the form of the never-ending story. True. So over the course of who knows how many more episodes, we're probably going to hit all of my top five favorite movies. Mine as well. Young Frankenstein is one of my top five. There we go. Um, but I'll reveal the others as we go along. Hey, this is a passion project, right? Amen. With passion fruit. All right. So Blade Runner. What's the first question you got for me? Because I, I got, know you got it. I, I got it six brewing. questions every show. I got um, I got actually seven if you include our next movie choice, which is your choice. Why not bump it up to a nice even number of eight? <laughs> Let's do it because at the end, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you one more question is join us next time when you say. So those are the eight questions. But the first question I have for you tonight is, hey, who yeah. made this a movie? I'll tell you who made this movie. Same person who made a movie that took place in space involved one of the most iconic female role models of all time. Especially in underwear. God, I loved her. And also aliens with acid blood. Acidy spit. I'm going to say aliens. Yes. Although I think the first movie was called Alien. Or Aliens? Alien, you're right. And uh, that's right. I don't know. There was a bunch of them. Alien. Aliens. aliens. It was Alien Alien 2. I got them all on a big Alien versus Predator box set that you uh, sold me. Predator versus Danny Glover. Uh, what was what was some of the other ones that came out? Wolverine versus uh, Acidy Spit. I think was the other uh, one. Planet Fifty One. Oh no, wait that that was a that was like a Pixar movie or something. And Hardcore Henry. And Hardcore Henry. Yep. Yeah, great set of films. It's totally great set of films, and definitely were sequential. Um, let's <laughs> let's see here. We're talking, of course, about Ridley Scott. Yes. Yes, Ridley Scott. He's still kicking too. He's he's making a bunch of stuff, and uh, including, <laughs> including Blade Runner twenty forty nine. <laughs> Blade Runner twenty forty nine is coming out. This was part of the the reason yeah. why I wanted to speak about Blade Runner. Oh, okay, good. Is because not only was it one of my favorite movies of, that too, you know, ever right, and it is also a great movie that anyone who enjoys a good movie, especially a sci fi one, should watch this movie. It holds up. Agreed. But Blade Runner uh, 2049, uh, it just, when, when did it come out? It came out recently, actually. That came out uh, last Friday from today, and today is October 20, Whatever 1925. Is it the 20th? No, I think it's the 20th. No, it's 20th, late October. 20th. It's not quite Halloween. <laughs> not quite Halloween. Uh, we, and we don't know when you're listening to this, but it might still be in theaters, so go check it out. Or please. if you're listening to this way in the future on some kind of weird archive and we're all dead and you're like wandering through the desert trying to you know, figure out what happened to the previous society and you just come across some hard drive with this on it, it came out in the year 2017. Also, tell any relatives I might have, even if they're mutants, I love them. Yeah, please. Dearly. If they're replicants, let them know in four years. And maybe try to find like a DVD or a Blu-ray copy of Blade Runner 2049 so you know what the hell we're talking about. I'm sure there'll be on microchips by then that's implanted in your brain. You'll just have every movie ever made in your brain when you're born. Yeah. Man, why wasn't I born in the future? Because you were born now. All right. I was born five years after this movie came out. That's true. All right. Ridley Scott. Uh He's an amazing guy. He did a ton of films. He's, he did do a ton of films, and he is also the producer on Blade Runner 2049. He is not the director. They got a new guy, a pretty awesome director on Blade Runner 2049, um, but he is uh, producing it. He's still oh, good. As long as he's got his face in it. 
Yeah. And he should be. He's got his word in. Let's put it that way. Uh, let's see here. Let's let's see what Ridley Scott has done in the past. Surely. He's got an amazing uh, uh, filmography. He He's not a young chap. He's not a young chap. He's still producing stuff. And his film credits go all the way back to, let's see here, 1965. He's, so he's like 97. Or at least that that's even according to IMDb. No, who knows what he did in like film school. He might have made some shorts that were utterly amazing and were just lost to the wind. I wonder if he took a course from Jerry Lewis. Maybe. He could have been one of those directors that was in a Jerry Lewis course on how to make films. But go ahead. Sure could be. He's an amazing director. Oh, gosh. 97 years old. It, is that how old he is? No, but no. he might as well be. Get out of he's here. He's been around for a long time. He's old. He has been around for a long time. He's not quite like Jerry Lewis old, so let's hope he doesn't <laughs> get out of here. Let's hope he doesn't check out anytime soon. No, please don't. Um, he started out in 1965, The Boy in the Bicycle, a short film. Uh, he was a uh, director, producer on that. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of other stuff in here, too. Um, obviously, Alien was like a big one. Everyone knows Ridley Scott from Alien. It was Alien to me. It, <laughs> well, now you know. <laughs> um, and then Blade Runner shortly after that. Uh, I think Blade Runner was probably a, a response to the, the fame that he received and, and the praise that he received from Alien. And they wanted you know another great sci-fi epic movie to go along with that. Uh, people were thirsty for that. Yeah. And he was the king of that. It came out with uh, with Blade Runner. I mean, hey, why not, right? Absolutely. Uh, let's see what else you got here. Gladiator, year 2000. Hannibal, 2001. One of my favorites. You like Hannibal? I do love Hannibal. That's another movie that I, I Black like. Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, let's Matchstick see here. Matchstick Men was pretty good. That's with Nicolas Cage. Matchstick Men was pretty good. Um, and he's got a bunch of other stuff in here too. He definitely has been getting back into, uh, some of his, uh, original properties there, uh, with the alien, uh, and now again with Blade Runner Mm -hmm. because he also was a director of Alien Covenant and Alien Covenant, the prologue, the crossing, I guess that was a short film that came out about 10 minutes long. Yeah, I guess so came out i it says prologue so i'm really hoping it came out before alien covenant i think that might be coming up soon then yeah well he's also in pre-production for a, another alien movie that's my boy i'm excited i'll take it he's pumping him out hey really scott when you do something uh, good you know why change the formula <laughs> right at least not too much why change your tune if you can sing it so well yeah, check out other stuff by Ridley Scott too. I, I remember reading something somewhere, and I don't know. Quote me on this or correct me on it in the comments. I don't care. But um, he's worked very closely with. Uh, ooh, I hope I say this correctly. Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. Neil the G Man. Don't know who that is. Get get out of here. All right. You don't know who thank Neil you, Gaiman guys. is. Oh. Oh uh, no! You can stay. Thank you. You can stay. It's my you. house. I also you don't. I don't know how to stop the recording. Okay. <laughs> Who is Neil Gaiman? Uh, he's a famous author, uh, science fiction writer. Um, he also does illustrations. He is kind of touted as the guy who was the visionary for the uh, the the style, the the dark noir style of the alien. The, the text movies. that uh, that uh, the pictures. Yes, I'm back. Also, Hello, I know, know that guy drawing like concept art for the aliens and all this other stuff. He's He's quite a famous dude, actually. How do you not know? I didn't know his name. 
Get out of I here. know his work. He actually did a guitar for um, Dokken, the uh, guitarist. Uh, I forgot his name now, but um, he he uh, produced a guitar for him, as a matter of fact, and drew up some nice artwork on that sucker and did a couple of other things for other stuff that he did with stuff and things. Stuff and things. The Day of the Sauces came by Neil Gaiman. Gaiman? Gaiman. I'm going to say Gaiman because I read shit phonetically, all right? <laughs> so it's G-A-I-M-A-N. Look it up yourself. Pronounce it however you want. Hey, Uncle Lewis. Yeah, what's up? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm Uncle Louie. What do can you, you want? Can huh? you do the thing you did when I came and picked you up? <laughs> hey, Uncle Louie. What, what did I say? I don't you remember. kept popping up over the... Books, the books in the library section, and you go, "Hey, it's me, Uncle Louie." <laughs> you had to be there. I loved it. I thought it was great. I have a question for you, sir. No, uh, I might have an answer. Who starred in this movie? Ah, uh, we had a bunch of people, but obviously the big one was Harrison Ford. Good old Harry. Harry Ford. Makes it clear, let the competition beware. That's actually a commercial we had down in Virginia for um, somebody's Ford company. But Harrison Ford is in this puppy looking fresh out of, what would that have been by that time? Uh, Jedi? Or would that have been... uh, Let's see, that would have been 82, so that would have been... Empire Strikes Back. Because 81 was Empire Strikes Back. It would have been Empire Strikes Back, yeah. So he's fresh out of there. And going from one character to the next without carrying anything over, because it looks like no connection, because Harrison Ford is an amazing actor. I got to tell you, if you want to... Harrison... I don't know what it was about Star Wars, but he seemed older in Star Wars than he did in this. He seemed almost baby-faced in this. I don't know if it was the type of filters they were using, or if it was just like super the haircut, the lighting, the haircut, and the uh, his facial expressions. You're right. He had a kind of like like a like a buzz cut. Like he was a fresh recruit. Yeah, that's what it was. He had super short hair, and he just looked like he he had just gotten into the action. And it never got wet, no matter how many times he ran out in that rain. It was always raining in this movie. We'll get to that later. I never ever got up with wet. That. Um, yeah, so Harrison Ford. I mean, y'all know him. We don't have to even go through his filmography. Not at all. He's been in a ton of stuff. You have. He was the. You know, he was looking for the one-armed guy. Uh, he was being chased by big round boulders. He's done a lot of stuff. He has. He's been. A, he's been quite the hero in quite the f- films. yes thank you mostly heroes too i I don't ever really see him as the bad guy i have never seen him as a bad guy in a film he was kind of of. an ass in ender's game the most recent ender's game movie true maybe that would have been his first naughty naughty but i I would say he was more deceptive than bad but that's beside the point he could all right so we got now uh who else have we got Rutge, right. Rutge, who are? Yeah, R- Rutger Hauer. Or the way that he should say it if he had an accent. I am Rutger Hoover. Sure. Yeah, because they would pronounce the U as a V. A v. I am Hauver. Hoover. It's good Hauver. to meet you. Have um, some soup. I, I, I love the description on IMDb. What has it got him? Blonde, blue eyed, tall, and handsome Dutch actor Rutger Hauer has an international reputation for playing everything from romantic leads to action heroes to sinister villains. 
Where to start a description off with blonde, blue-eyed, tall, and handsome? Hello. Right? I would love that to be like on... Slap me silly, huh, Sally? I they, guess so. They should have a section on like uh, resumes where you can just describe yourself real quick. <laughs> That's how I would describe myself. Blonde, blue-eyed, tall, and handsome. Well, <laughs> tall, at least. <laughs> Let's not go overboard. <laughs> but yeah, he played uh he played Roy. He was the the main the leader, the bad guy uh replicant in in the movie which we'll we'll get to that whole thing in a bit. And He's then got he, a ton of credits. My favorite credit would have to be the homeless guy with the shotgun. Yeah. Uh, Hobo with a Shotgun, right? Hobo with a Shotgun. That, what an odd movie, I got to tell you. I loved it. It's straight to the point. You'd be like, Hobo with a Shotgun? What's that movie about? I'll uh, tell you, son. <laughs> There's this hobo, <laughs> and he's got a shotgun. Yep. And, uh, well, yeah, that's That's, that's the movie. That's what we got. Imagine that pitch. I think that'd be great. I would love to see him in the movie Machete. And they both the hobo. Well, with the what's shotgun that about? Machete. Well, it's about a guy. Okay, yeah, I'm on board. And he has a machete. Get out of here! <laughs> no kidding, dude. Oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Put them two in a room and see what happens. <laughs> I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bank on a shotgun hobo with a shotgun. That was good. Do you ever see Room with a View? Room with a View. What's that about? It's actually a comedy. But all right. Is it a comedy? I can't remember. I, I don't know. I expected you to say, it's about a room. I know. And there's a room. That's why I went the it's other It's got way. a really great view. <laughs> <laughs> I like that description. Anyways, yeah, he was in a lot of other stuff. Look him up a yourself. Ton. Yeah. Wasn't he Highlander for a while? Oh, who knows? Wait, was he fighting Sean Connery? I can't remember. Well, he probably killed Sean Connery, so. I can't remember. <laughs> Rutger um, Howard killed Sean Connery. <laughs> and then you have We're just saying it here whether it's true or not <laughs> then you have sean young who i don't i've never really seen her before and i fell in love instantly well who did she play she played rachel 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 who is a uh i guess kind of the love interest of uh i'll say harrison ford oh by the way we didn't even uh we didn't even tell you harrison ford's character name it's uh rick deckard Deckard. Yeah, pretty simple, That's... you know, hero type name. They call him Deckard a lot, just short, you know, like they do when you're talking to police or whatever. They always refer to him by their last name, uh, yeah, informally type, you know. Uh, but yeah, he plays uh, Rick Deckard. So, and and Rutger plays Roy Batty. Roy Batty, which a little Batty. Why would they even give replicants like actual human names? Just to mess with them a little bit more. Why couldn't he be like two one six seven dash B? That would have been he... much. Well, the syllables because they're not that brilliant. I guess so. They couldn't. How are they supposed to remember that? Roy, three letters, yep. one syllable. And so this uh, this chick, what's her name again? Rachel. No last name. Rachel. Just Rachel. Just Rach. Huh. Interesting. So you didn't see she anything would have else been about good. her? She would have been good on Friends. <laughs> well, she already had the name. Um, and then you had... Uh, oh, wow. Okay, this one. For all my sci-fi friends out there, I present to you Edward James Almo! 
Yeah, he uh, from Battlestar Galactica fame, Edward James Olmos, as well as like a million other things. But I pretty much remember him from Battlestar Galactica because, hey, I love that show. I yeah. really do. I love sci-fi. I love this. I love Edward James Olmos. I always put him as a cop. Yeah. He's always been a cop to me. I He's very copy. I want to say uh, Hill Street Blues, but I don't think he was on that. But it always seemed like whenever I saw him as a kid, he was a cop. And he's had enough. Well, his whole character, his whole personality just screams authority. Hmm. It also screams, I am calm. Even if stuff is exploding around me. Armageddon, I'm fine. Gunfights, the world is ending, an alien is probing him. It doesn't matter. That that last one didn't happen. (laughs) But if it did, he'd be so calm. He'd be super calm. I am good with this. He is excellent under pressure. Next on the list is, of course, M. Emmett Walsh. Yes, that's M. Emmett Walsh. Not two M's. It's M. Emmett. Not M. Emmett. It's M. <laughs> Emmett Walsh. Do I need to spell it out for you guys? Come on. I thought you were on the same page as us. And by the same page, I mean literally the filmography or the casting page for Blade Runner on IMDb. And he was born in 1935. He's still alive. That's not that surprising. People are living forever nowadays. I mean, unless you're a replicant. But we'll get to that. I'll never forget Emmett Walsh in Back to School because he, that to me was the pinnacle of me watching him talk out of the side of his face. He's the talk out of the side of his face actor. And he's always like, hey, hey. And Back to School, he was like, do the triple Indy. It's kind of like when you're trying to, you know, shout at someone, but also not really shout directly at them. Yeah. So you kind of go out the side of your mouth like, I don't want to yell at you, but I also want to yell at you. And it seems like every film since that, when I see him, he's always talking out of the side of his face and yelling at somebody across the street. When we were talking about Nutty Professor, we were talking about, you know, uh, people doing something for the first time and then it just becoming standard, uh, Mm -hmm. like an actual thing that anyone can do in any com especially comedy yeah uh when it comes to you know uh, gags uh and yeah there's there's a guy right there who's making something popular like that <laughs> that's his nuance that is and his he's nuance. that's what he does but and in this movie it was weird to see him not do something like that which this is 1982 i think uh, back to school is like an 89 to 90-something movie. There also weren't a lot of laughs in this movie. Not at all. But Very very serious. But he did. He would lean over towards Harrison Ford and, and look at him like, Hey! <laughs> Yay! Yeah. And he made... Remember, he poured two drinks on his desk. And I always wondered about that, why he never joined him on a drink. He did just leave that drink there. And to this day, I'm thirsty. I wonder if that drink, that drink is still there to this day. It could be just sitting there waiting for us in the future. It'd probably just be some caramelized like sugar at the bottom of a glass. Part of the glass now. Stuck there, a little bit of mold. Oh, and, this is that drink that M.M. <laughs> <laughs> never, uh, he just never drank M&M it. M.M. M&M M&M. We left it there for him. We thought he'd come back. He still hasn't come back to this day. Do you think his name is the reason M.M. is a rapper? No, I think his uh, name, well, what's the M stand for? Milk chocolate. Mary. I bet you it's something like that. Mm. Mary. He's just like, I'm just, I'm going by M, guys. I can't take it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be known as Marilyn. Marilyn Emmett Walsh. 
Daryl Hannah. Oh! Ooh, did you get a little excited there? Hold on, let me say it again. Daryl Hannah. Splish, splash, <laughs> taking a bath. Did you ever see Splash? I have, yes. Oh, she was great in Splash. Well, don't get too out of control. Tell me about her. Oh, well, uh, she is a great actress who is labeled not a great actress. All right, wh- what did she play? Well, let's see. She, Her in character's this, name. Oh, in this movie, she was Pris. Pris. Her name was Pris. She was uh, attituded. Uh, she she was a verb. A verb? Uh, what would that verb be? Prissy. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I think um, it would be more... She's a Pris. She, I, I want to describe her almost like... Uh, Pristine? <laughs> Pristine. <laughs> All right. If you guys haven't seen the movie, I'm not even going to bother describing it to you. Uh, you've probably seen scenes, uh, clips from this movie in in descriptions of great movies from the past, and not even known that you saw her in this movie. Yeah. Because she's in one of the most iconic scenes in the movie. Which you want, is you want to describe it? The Donald Trump scene, or the one oh, where she's oh. doing all of the? Uh... No, no, no. That came way later. He grabbed her right by the wait. Prissy. Let me ask you. <laughs> let me ask you this: Did it, does it have to do with her uh, her uh, her Olympic uh, jumping about? Kind of. Um, well, yes. Uh, hold on, one second here. Take your time. I want to pull her up because uh, I, I bet you do. To, to, <laughs> um, the flow nicely. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Go ahead and I'll edit back in. Daryl Hannah. So you had M. Emmett Walsh. His name was probably Marilyn, and she has a male's first name. Everyone's all out of control. In this that movie. is a good point. She does have a male's name. Uh, I, I think that's kind of the trend nowadays. I think it's Daryl. <laughs> it's Daryl. <laughs> if you ever seen a clip from Blade Runner, or hell, even a, a trailer, then you probably have seen uh, a, a scene from the end of the movie in which she is dressed in like a like a leotard, and she's got this makeup on. She looks very fake, which is appropriate because she plays one of the replicants. Yes, and everything is uh, the whole environment is almost surreal. Like like a battle royale in freaking Geppetto's workshop or something. Yes, very well said. Which is, you know, it's meant to look that way for a reason. Um, and, yeah, she does a lot of flips, and, and she's just being... Well, kooky. She's being a little kooky, yeah. yeah. Uh, in, a, in a playful and yet very threatening kind of way. Like, I'm crazy, and I'm going to do a few flips for you before I try to kick your head off. Deckard, Very true. You jerk. And she grabs Deckard by the crotch. No, she grabs Deckard with her crotch. Well, that's what I meant. Yes. She grabbed him she, with she her crotch. She puts him in like a, like a thigh oh. scissor hold or something like that. Like, and which Deckard really made an effort to turn his head all the way around. He did. Why? You, you because he's just, a filthy pig. He probably could have just dived to the ground at any point and, and bonked her head real hard and just been done over with it. But he struggled for about 30 seconds to turn his head around and then like get her off. Of him. Uh, of him. Yes. Of good him. safe. Good <laughs> safe. And, uh, yeah, and that's exactly what happened. And then what does she do in retaliation? Another moment of the 80s Olympics. She straight up runs to the... Uh, we're getting a little ahead here of, like, what, what has happened in this movie. But it, she literally runs to the other side of the room away from him. 
so that she can then do multiple flips towards him, Be- giving him enough time replicants to pull out his gun great. and fire at her. <laughs> if that's what you want to say. But the, the Olympic athletes that these replicants were. She was, was she a pleasure model? They all have different models. Yeah, that's true. All right, I let's let's burn was. through the other actors on here real quick so we can talk about yeah, the Yeah, I can't wait to come story. back to that. Um, <laughs> the last person I think we should bother mentioning, oh, there's two of them. James Hong, of course. Great guy. He played Hannibal Chu. Right? Yeah. Uh, this is a, a prime example of, of this movie setting a, a, a mood. Mm-hmm. Han- Hannibal Chu, uh, he was the... Chinese guy who the frozen and he was in the frozen shop with the yeah. eyeballs and yeah so they set a mood of this old world style uh, marketplace around every corner everyone's trying to to peddle their goods and do all that while mixing it with this future vibe of of genetics and and screens everywhere and great Chinese food yeah and and lots of Chinese food this goes along again with the fact that like uh, Chinese and Japanese culture have eventually uh, or essentially just like saturated uh, this future version of Los Angeles and dim sum and and dim sum and uh but only two (laughs) only two not four but um i think i read somewhere too that the population of la at the time in the future that this takes place was 180 million yeah that's a lot which is why everything is super super high skyscrapers and layered upon layered upon layered upon layered upon layered and uh, it's always raining for some reason (laughs) i We'll we'll get to that too. But but James Hong is a very important person because he uh, he kind of gives the replicants. Well, he, he's I don't want to say informant, but he kind of sends them in the direction of uh, you know their their creator because he was uh, would you say the the last like they wanted to come to him for help in not dying anymore, right? Yeah, he was trying to work on that. But he definitely played a, a character like I'm just a guy doing my job, you know. Like I, I just I make eyeballs. And That's it. He's also part of one of the I want to say characteristically creepy scenes in this movie, where they show that the replicants, as much as they are fighting for as simple a cause as not dying, are also very sadistic and not kind. No. <laughs> they are interrogating and basically threatening, but in this veiled way, the character played by Hong by taking eyeballs out of vats of, of super cool liquid and, and placing them all over decorating him. Decorating him with his decorating eyeballs. Decorating him with eyeballs. Yeah. Genetically engineered eyeballs it's it's one of those scenes where you go "Ooh, maybe i shouldn't root for the replicants at this point he plays an important role he really does even if he's only in a scene for like three minutes killer goatee that well it was a little thin it was a little thin but it looked really cool i mean it It was long it was a long hannibal chewish goatee hannibal chew goatee and then finally the the last actor that is worth mentioning in this film. Uh, Joe Turkle. Creepy looking guy. Really cool glasses. I think they were quadrifocals. 
What? Oh, yeah. Uh, so he plays uh, uh, something, something Tyrell. What's his name? Uh, J.B. Tyrell, I thought. It, no, no. Um, J.F. Sebastian was by William Anderson, who was also really quickly on the Bob Newhart show, which you have not seen. But, no, I haven't seen But that. he played Larry and his brother Daryl and the other brother Daryl. <laughs> Hannah was an innocent way to connect everything. Dr. Eldon Terrell. Oh, Dr. Eldon Terrell. Yep. Which so he's like, I, I don't know, CEO or at least some kind of big head uh, of the Tyrell Corporation. A nice and he king did. bed. He had these, these they were like uh, maybe oct- octagonal like glasses, but but the main like magnifying uh, part of his bifocal glasses were like right in the center. Yeah. And, and I couldn't tell if... That was supposed to be futuristic, or maybe he got them out of Goodwill or something. Probably got it at the futuristic Goodwill. Future Goodwill, which is probably also a a random market cart on the side of the street, (laughs) because everything is market carts on the side of the street. Get some good used dim sum there. You bet. Um, So that's who started. No, I I think we missed someone. Who? Joanna Cassidy. <gasps> you know why she's important in this movie? Because she plays the Diamondback Snake stripper. Yes, and this is also a character who is in one of the most iconic scenes in the movie, which is the she basically dies in slow motion while running through several plates of glass, and this is the one kill by Deckard in which he expresses the most amount of regret for. Yeah, that's as, true. As you'll see, you know, he doesn't like being a Blade Runner. No, he, he really doesn't. doesn't. He's, I guess, pretty good at it, and and he feels that he has to, and especially since he's being forced to. But he doesn't like to. He even describes to uh, Rachel uh, shortly after that um, scene in which he uh, kills uh, Joanna Cassidy. Who does she play? What's her uh, her replicant name? Oh, uh, uh, da, 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 uh, 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 sorry. <laughs> uh, Zora. Like you said. Yeah. Z- or, or Zahora, it might be pronounced. I don't actually remember, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, he, he even says to Rachel, you know, like, you know, do you have the shakes a little bit? Oh, I get the shakes sometimes. And, uh, got and the shakes. He is straight up. He, he goes to the bottle. He, he just, he doesn't like killing them they're a little too close to human or he might even feel empathy and sympathy yeah it's not their them. fault that they were even though he's still willing to engineer. do his job she is she it's a long chase sequence she doesn't even directly you know want to you know kill him or anything she just she wants just to suddenly survive. realizes that he is totally bullshitting her uses a, a weird voice which is actually kind of funny in the when he's like trying to question her yeah. in her dressing room. Oh, by the way, uh she, I think she's the only one that shows boobies in this whole movie too. No, uh well, what's her name shows boobies too. Uh No, you're absolutely right. She's, I'll take my think, retraction. She does show boobies she's quite the boobie a bit. She's the boobie shower, which I believe is actually I uh, I don't want to say tasteful because 
it didn't seem necessary. But it does show that she was kind of like trying to be coy, like, oh, I'm just a regular old girl. I'm a snake handler. And oh, I'm totally going to get undressed in front of you because I'm totally calm and not at all threatened by you. Not at and all. And just and that's seconds, seconds later, she flips out and, and begins running, which sets in place this chase scene through the streets through the the wonderful magnificent streets portrayed in this movie part of the visual awe of blade runner is is these scenes in the streets and and the backdrops and and eventually she gets gunned down by deckard which is a shame because she had one hell of a hair dryer that was a pretty cool hair dryer (laughs) it was the original like dry vac she was like (laughs) which became the floby later on in yeah, cool. One person uh, I just thought about that we missed. Oh, and, we got another one. Well, Brian James, and he passed away in 1999, but he is the king of playing bad guys in movies. The ever chinless Brian James. Oh. Oh, he was, um, uh, who did he play? He played the main guy in the very beginning as well, who uh, um, played, uh, give me a second. He was the officer. No, 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 no. He was the, he was the one who played, um, give me a second. Um, the, Leon Kowalski, oh, and he was the one right. that you played Sorry, in the I, beginning of this podcast. I was thinking of someone else. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he's he. Um, at the very beginning, he's being interrogated with the uh, a voin comp procedure or yeah. something like that. They called it a procedure in which they you know analyze people while asking them questions to determine whether or not they're replicants in some vaguely explained way they and, they can use that to to weed out uh replicants and since he, replicants are so close to being human they ask him about his mutter and he gets pissed off and he freaked out i didn't know and that he, he shoots away. the guy and apparently also is able to get completely out of that huge building <laughs> After having done that, he totally escapes because he comes back later and fights Harrison Ford. Everyone fights Harrison Ford in this freaking movie. I didn't know that he passed away, though, in 1999 at age 54. Deckard had a, had a bad bad day. Bad couple days. Deckard? Yeah, 1945 he was born in. So, I, yeah, he died in 99. That's yeah, too bad. I didn't bad. know that. I have more questions for you, sir. Yeah, yeah. We talked about everyone that acted in this movie, so we got a good idea of, of all the different people in here. They've gone on to varying uh, degrees of fame, none more so than Harrison Ford, obviously. Oh, yeah. He's still going, and he's going to be in uh, Blade Runner 2049, too, so you can expect to see him there. You will find him right there. Do you know that Blade Runner, $250 million is what it costs to make the new one? The new one. And uh, 125 this past weekend. So far, they've made 125 so far. It'll, I'm it'll, really it'll hoping that they at least make a little bit more than what they put into it. Because if not, this is just be the death of the franchise all over again. <laughs> and you I can't mean, make on. another film in another it, 30 years. Harrison will be done. It took him. Uh, it took him 35 years. Yeah. To to make a, an official sequel, there were a couple of uh, short films. They should have waited till 2019. You think it really would have mattered that much? They'd yeah. be like saying make Terminator 2 in 1997 because that's when the bombs were supposedly supposed to drop. Yeah, that's true. So, or Who dropped a bomb? Not Skynet. No, that's for sure. That's All right, it. so what's, uh, what's question number three? I don't even remember. Well, how much money did this movie make, sir? Uh, I'm sorry, let's do this again. Hey, question so, number three is how much money? Well, it cost $25 million to make. 
That's a lot of money in 1982. Actually, I think it cost $28 million to make. I don't know. It was like 20-something million dollars. <laughs> and did they, they made their money back, I guess? They eventually made their money back. When you, when you count in international markets, they, they made their money back. But in the United States, uh, with ticket gross sales, they were like a million short of making their money back. Nowadays, you think, uh, especially with the release of 2049, do you think they're probably still making money right now off that film? They actually started to make a lot more money years after the movie came out, even years after the movie came out on VHS. Because it came out, it wasn't met very well in theaters. It also wasn't met very well on the VHS release. But then years later, it, it started to develop a cult following and people started to appreciate it for the piece of art that it really is. Definitely. And so it started making a lot more money with uh, future versions that came out, director's cuts, extended cuts. Uh, so they made a lot more money than I'm not even sure exactly how much because it's all broken down into these different categories like DVD sales, online sales, uh, director's cut sales, extended cut sales, uh, super extended cut sales, Blu-ray. super uber duper extended cut sales, 4K, 17-hour <laughs> long nosebleed session sales. I don't even know. And alternate ending sales, too, I guess. Yep. There were, I, I believe, I, I looked this up, there were 43,000 alternate endings. Uh, that's what I, I just finished watching, three of those. Wait, it's gone up. 45,000 hmm. alternate endings. Oh, I got more to watch. Yeah, we're going to be at this all week. My next question is the most important question of all, the entire show. <gasps> Are you ready? This is it. No, I'm not ready, but go ahead. What is this movie about? Oh, all right. Well, it's about uh, it's about Blade Runner. Basically, I would call this a bounty hunter film. It kind of is about, uh, it, it is a bounty hunter film. In fact, there, there isn't a lot of complication to the actual plot line. But there, and there's not a lot of money that he makes as a hunter because he he's basically threatened by the cops to go out and get these guys right it's more of an obligation like there aren't too many blade runners and he's one of the best so he kind of just has to do it he's thrust upon it uh so to say but yeah so in the near future uh we're we're calling (laughs) two (laughs) years from now but but at least you know 30 some odd years from when the movie was uh made right we're colonizing other planets and it's hard work out there, you know? People are frail. Space is dangerous. And so we start making these uh, replicant people, yeah. which I guess are like genetically engineered people. Clones. So to say, yeah. I think there was a little Not bit... Not even clones. Excuse me. It was more to it, though. They, yeah. they were created beings with you know fake memories that you basically turn on and they're just suddenly people they were essentially the the workforce the slaves they were slaves to to clean up and do up and make up clean up space of i don't know fly spaceships uh pick up moon rocks i don't know what they did you know when some run the 7-eleven some jerk drives by in his spaceship and and throws a a space 7-eleven cup out the window and it lands on the moon the replicant is the one that comes by and picks it up with a pokey stick Yeah, yeah exactly he wears an orange vest, and he's like, oh, this life my- sucks. I miss the it's days It's a living. Was- <laughs> <laughs> it's a life we chose. <laughs> they didn't choose it, though. That's, That's the whole thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> and so, so the Nexus they make them. Well, they make them really good after a while. The first ones are like, I don't know. They they probably look like cavemen, mm-hmm. I assume, or, or like uh, the Nutty Professor before he takes his <laughs> juice. You know, yeah. they're just not all that impressive. Right. But then they start making them better and better. Until they become physically 
way better than people. Still, intelligence-wise, they're pretty much on par with people, but they're super strong. Right. And they start to get some ideas in their heads like, hey, maybe we don't have to do what they say anymore, you know? Maybe we can run away and do all this other stuff. So they make them illegal. Yeah, they make them illegal on Earth. They're like, we will have no replicants on Earth. We still need them in space because, you know, all that space garbage on the moon. Do our bidding, yeah, do our stuff. Yeah, Someone's someone's got to, you know, uh, I don't know, clip our toenails in space. I, I don't know what replicants do up there, to be honest. They never get into it. Yeah. I assume they're, uh, you know, picking up after our dogs. Space dogs, of space course. Space dogs, of course. Yeah, space dogs. And clipping our toenails so that they don't become space debris and put a hole uh, yeah. in the space station. I don't know. They're doing whatever replicants do up there. But there are none on Earth. And the ones that do come to Earth, that's where the Blade Runners come in. Blade, Blade Runners like, like Deckard. Yep. Like uh, Harrison Ford's character. And uh, at the very beginning of the movie, we find out that, you know, after um, uh, What's-His-Face's character shoots the guy giving him the Voight comp test, we learn that there are four replicants that stole a space station. Yep, Leon. They they, uh, stole a spaceship. They killed everyone on board. And they came to Earth. And, and there were supposed somewhere to originally only be four, and then they found out there was five. Oh, we'll get to that in just I'm a sorry. second. I'm sorry. I, I always jump ship. But there, there, were, uh, there were four of them in the thing, and they call in Harrison Ford, all, all rude-like, while he's trying to eat some dumplings. I know. Or Two, well, not They four. were dumplings, right? I don't know if that was, or maybe uh, um, Hannibal Chow was serving up really bad eyeballs. <laughs> In an awesome scene that shows yet again how how person to person commerce is basically what 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 drives the whole city. Yeah, everything is under a tent. In the streets. It's all in the streets. There's only one scene where we're in a business that's indoors at all. Yeah. And that's when they're in the nightclub when they find Zora. Everything else is on the streets. There's even a scene later in the movie where he comes up to an old Asian lady with this this little snake scale because he's trying to figure out where it came from, which right. leads him to Zora. And she's like in a in a kiosk in the middle of the street. She's running with kiosks. this awesome sci-fi looking uh, uh, microscope and like analyzing devices. Yeah, in like a, that'd be like, oh, I want to get a DNA test. Well, I think I'll go to the mall. <laughs> I think we in have a, one, one of those kiosks. I can uh, get some keys made, buy a calendar, and get a DNA test. <laughs> like, come on, seriously? Why was she in come the street? Come on down here, get your DNA. Get Can't your get DNA. an office space in the back room somewhere. No. You're literally in the street under a tarp. That's capitalism. That's amazing. Is what it is. It really <laughs> sets a mood for the overcrowdedness of you know L.A. in yeah. the year 2019. Apparently, and we got two more years to go. Start making babies, people. That's we right. need 180 Let's go. million. Let's go. Tear down that wall. Let him in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So he just starts. He starts hunting the the replicants. Uh, I think the who's the first one that he finds. The that, first one that he would have found would have have to have been Rachel, that he thought was a replicant. He goes looking for information at uh, Tyrell. Yeah. That's when he meets Rachel. At first, you think she's just like a I don't know what a receptionist or assistant of some kind right and uh the tyrell corporation is like i'm interested in your voight comp whatever test right i i really hope i'm not saying that wrong but it's voight something we'll call it the join the john voight test the john voight test 
They give him the John Voight test uh, to determine whether or not they're replicants. And this guy, Tyrell, he's like, ah, I want to see this in action. Yeah. And he's like, all right, well, I test you. And he's like, nah, you should test her. And so he gives her a test and asks her a whole bunch of questions, which she is eager to answer. And then, you know, it kind of fades into a little while later. You could tell they've been at it for a bit. She's and exhausted. they stop. And then he's like, all right. And they send her out of the room. And Deckard is like, she's a replicant, isn't she? And he's like, yeah, new, like, experimental, blah, blah, blah. And then that's when he says, uh, Deckard says, yeah, but she doesn't know that she's a replicant, right. does she? This is and that's kind of, that's a twist. It's like, whoa, what? Yeah. They, they can even be replicants and not know? That instantly opens up so many possibilities in the movie. It really does. Because you start thinking, now anyone could be a replicant. And you Harrison Ford could be a replicant. It. Edward James almost could be a replicant. Everyone in the Hannibal whole damn Chow could is a be replicant. A replicant of a replicant. Hannibal Chow is a replicant inside a replicant, operating that replicant with levers and shit. That's how much of a That's you don't know what's going on. A replicated replicant. A replicated replicant. Yep. And then you might even find like the three, redundant three replicants <laughs> in in a long coat, yeah. just standing on each other's shoulders. That's a, a replicant on top of a replicant on top of a replicant replicating a replicant. We call those totem replicants. Totem replicants. Yep. There's so many. Anyone can be a replicant. You just don't know what's know. going on anymore. And, so, and, and by the way, uh, that's who uh, uh, D- Derek Deckard is looking for is the, the chinless replicant, Leon, because he is the one that they that got this whole ball rolling when he shot that cop at the beginning of the film. So. He did. He shot the guy administering the test at the beginning of the film, and it was like, oh, well, we got to take care of this now. That's um, an answer I should have given a long time ago when you asked the question. Speaking of <laughs> totem replicants, yes. did you notice that there were a lot of scenes in this in which there were, um, what's the politically correct term? Tiny people. No. Short people. No. No. Dwarf people? No, because then we're getting closer. Elves. Elves? No. Hmm. Uh, they're not mythical. They're actual people that exist with Miniature. a condition that makes many, many people. Many people. Many me. Many people. Many me's, like Vern Troyer. Right. So whatever Vern Troyer uh, identifies as, there you were a lot of his the midget people. in Austin Powers. Oh yeah, the midget in Austin Powers. Yes, the him. So whatever he identifies as. Uh, there were a lot of his people. There were. Yeah. I don't know if that was a choice. Um, I also don't know if they were intentionally midget people. Because Mini obviously reps. genetic engineering happens, but there were multiple scenes in which you would just see him walking by. Um, there were even midgets that played the uh, the, the toys in later scenes uh, at JR or JF. And he created those. Whatever yeah, JB's, space. Uh, yeah, JRJLs. Yeah, at, at, at his place. Um, I don't know if they just had them on loan. Can you loan midgets? I That's think back a terrible then you thing. could. And yeah, I know. In 1982, you could loan midgets. This is like the Wolf of Wall Street all over again. It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's a situation. But I, yeah. I think that was an intentional choice, though. It must have been because there's no way that there's a, a scene in which you see a bunch of like uh, hooligans or ruffians or whatever in the street, 
And at least two of them were uh, midgets. Little, yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to get uncomfortable saying midget. Why? I'm not normally that type of guy. Probably because we aren't and we don't know what the term is. White guilt. White guilt, my friends. <laughs> it's white guilt. It's a That's real thing. a good name for a podcast. Welcome to White Guilt. My name is Kevin. Midgets. Welcome to episode one of White Guilt, my friends. This is Lewis. I'm very white. There's Kevin. He's also very white. I'm slightly Opaque, more white, though, my friend. so my name comes first. <laughs> nope. All right. Welcome moving, to the Opaque Show. Moving on. That was just an aside. Um, yeah. So after that point, um, they have a, what would you call it? A, an, an, a romantic understanding? They a, seem a to have a, well, what happens is she's looking for him. And found him in an elevator. I think after she has this extremely long test and they send her out of the room, she kind of catches on. She's like, uh, uh-oh, maybe, I think I'm a replicate. Maybe I'm a repi. And he goes off to do whatever and then very quickly finds out just by like a, a radio transmission or some something. Oh, yeah, she, uh, she ran away. So now you also got this other replicant as well. Yeah. You got the ones you were originally going after and now you have this other one. Yeah, I know. Sorry, your life sucks. Uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? But she straight up comes to him. Like, she finds him. Yeah. She even helps him dispose of Leon when Leon eventually, uh, you know, comes after Deckard. She saves his life. She does. Leon got the upper hand, knocked away his gun, was about to, you know, mess him up real good. And she gets Deckard's gun and shoots him in the head what is the word not Deckard she shoots Leon in the Le- head what is the words that Leon uses and is kind of prevalent throughout the entire film um, something about uh, the fear of living um, something about the fear of living and uh, uh, don't you want to die uh, I, well I don't know that's the overall theme with the replicants though is that it's they a, just don't want to die they don't want to die, of course, because they have it such really, a short lifespan of it four honestly years. Is that's a, that's the whole thing? They have a, a, a safety or or some some kind of something uh, built into them. I want to say a, a safety parameter, but they're or always, like a like a fail safe or something like that, yeah. where they can only live four years. The Nexus but, Six robots only live four years long. It's not long enough to, I guess, start a revolution or whatever. Um, and they're always living in fear. That's the main thing that they always seem to say. Because they don't know when, they call it the incept date, the date that they were created and turned on. That's their incept date. They have four years after that, and then they're going to die. And that's scary. You and don't know. So since you're they're constantly doing created it. people with, with fake memories and everything just pre-programmed in, they don't know. They, they just don't know. And it creates a, a huge amount of fear in them. And Leon says to Deckard, how does it feel to know you're going to die? And then all of a sudden his head just goes, yeah, Leon's right. head explodes. And you look and then there's Rachel with the gun that belongs to Deckard. And Man, replicant on replicant violence. What's next? Oh, he also, you know, he, I guess he also didn't know how long he would live. He didn't know it was four years. Yeah. Because one of the things he asks, like, before he even starts beating the crap out of Deckard is, I was born on, you said, April 2017. April, April 16th, 2017. April 16th, 2017. So he knew his inception date. He didn't know how long he was going to last. Right. He was like, four years. And he's like, 
I'm I'm more than halfway through. I'm like, oh, oh no, you he's, know. He's fifty out of a hundred right now. He started freaking out, uh, you know. And then he's like, well, guess I might as well kill you because you're here to kill me, and I, at least I have two years left. You know? Yeah, yeah. Win so. the lotto and enjoy the last year of his life. I guess. I wonder what the lotto would even be in, oh, in gosh. the future. Probably four dumplings, not two. Uh, four dumplings, and then another glass of the the uh, tequila with the worms in it. Yeah. Ugh, that was gross. Four worms, not two. That's right. <laughs> so from that point, we um, do that elevator scene. Yep. We. Uh, yep. The elevator scene. She's she's hiding out. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that happens in the meantime. Uh, the one that plays um, Pris, she meets up with a geneticist who works for the Tyrell Corporation. Makes midgets. Yep. He makes he makes his friends. Yeah. He, he words it friends. like he makes friends, but then he's like, oh, here they are. I made them all. Ha ha. I'm definitely not all that creepy, uh, except for he's extremely creepy. He also um, is extremely sympathetic with them because he has a genetic defect that causes him to age rapidly. That's true. Even though he still ages much slower than they do, but much quicker than the normal person. Within the film, you see that. He gets, yep. he gets wrinklier. And she also, you know, once she establishes herself with uh, with this guy and his weird, you know, I, I, I'm just going to call it kind of like a Geppetto's uh, workshop of weird living toys. It's, it's like, yeah, it's like the toy, the land of forgotten toys in, in Rudolph. It's something else uh definitely is one of the creepiest settings in the whole thing everything yeah. else is dirty and depressing but this is just like dirty depressing with, with a, a creep factor of creepy renaissance toy mess yeah and it takes place in like an old theater or something too yeah. up on like a high yeah it watch it the visuals in this movie are amazing they, and that sets such a mood yeah. Yeah, you can't. We help do it. this nowadays trying to replicate that. Yep. And, and then uh, she brings uh she brings Roy there. Uh her and Roy are I don't want to say they're lovers, but they're definitely like the two main replicants. They are yeah. they are hand in hand. We are going to do something at least about our impending doom. Uh so they're they're all holed up there. And it's crazy because you kind of understand that so it's like they are the bad guys but not really. Because they're just trying to exist. Yeah, they're also sadistic and they they're do very murder sadistic. a lot. And I, yeah, I don't want to belittle that. But at the same time, there's, there's a scene in which Roy eventually convinces uh, it's Jr. Right? That's his yeah, name, we'll go the toy maker. To, yeah, uh, to bring him up to Mr. Tyrell, and I mean they they have a few words. Uh, but it really seems like he knew that Tyrell wouldn't be able to do anything for him. So the only reason he was there was to kill Tyrell. Squishes. He doesn't just shoot him. No, he's, I'm going to squish your head. And he sure as hell does. Boy, he squishes him good. Not just squishes his head too, but jabs his eyeballs in with his thumbs. And, and you hear cracking like. And you know what's uh, a, you know what's really cool is the imagination factor of that because you're looking at the owl's face. There's that owl in there, who looks like he was replicated too. By the way, he had the little funky were. eye thing. Yeah. And uh, but you don't see his fingers go in. You don't see his head's being crushed. You hear it. 
you see him about to do it, and your imagination takes over, which kind of makes it... a small amount of blood. You don't see any, yeah. like, jelly eyeballs. You, and it just, made it amazing. It was such a good scene. And I, and I was actually impressed of how they didn't give it to you. You had to imagine it, and that was very nice. That was refreshing in today's give-you-everything movies. You know what I mean? The whole movie was less of showing you what was going on and making instead it was making you feel yeah. what was going on yeah with they, the aesthetics with the soundscapes with the the music the scoring oh, oh. the music is another star it's, in itself that is another story uh we'll get to that in a second right after we finish up the story because at this point deckard has already taken out uh uh, uh leon yep. he took out zora and he just found his last couple of clues to lead him, you know, after uh, Roy kills um, Tyrell and all that stuff, to lead him to JR's place. And, and he knows where the last two replicants are. Well, the last two he wants to kill, after all, because he kind of wants to bone Rachel. So I don't think he wants to take her out. Not yet. No. Maybe out to dinner. That's what I meant. But he doesn't want to, you know, no. shoot her in the head. Make sure she's worth the lobster and steak meal. Yeah, and if she complains, then you could shoot her in the head. But, yeah. you, you know, don't do that first. Yeah, cause... Order of operations of dating. Right. Ask, take him out. And See, then he wants take to him pay out. for the dinner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if she says you, that's okay, as long as she pretends that she might want to pay for it. And then if she complains, shoot her in the head. That's... As long as she's a replicant. Don't do this in real life, guys. No, please, don't. Don't be that stupid. <laughs> but anyways, so... um. <laughs> Yeah, he goes up to the old uh, the old theater slash hotel. What was it called? It was called like the Cadbury or something. Something like the that. The Cadbury Theater. Yeah. Yeah. So he bark, he bark. walks through the cream filling. No wait, sorry. That's, that's, that's all right. There's a different. There's a different. A thing. Different Cadbury. I don't know. It was it was some theater which probably existed at one point in L.A. I bet you, and yeah. it was just because it was so it was dilapidated. It was old, abandoned. Stuff was built on top of it. It's part of that whole layering thing. They built everything up. Everything was built up and on Straight top up. of everything else. Great job on the uh, the uh, cinematography and the modeling. Definitely. Uh, so many lights. So many lights. There, the lighting 1982 itself. and so much. The I, scenery I, itself was almost a, a, a third-person character in, in the movie. Just seeing fourth person it was would like, have been the music, but yes. Fifth person, sixth person. There, there were... Uh, Unhuman and unreplicant characters in this movie, and yeah. in the form of the the set and the music, and even just the mood itself was almost a character. Well, anyways, back to our story. Uh, yeah, so they uh, they battle it out, man. First, he he gets there, and um, Pris is there. She she hides amongst all the toys. She's painted her face at this point. She threw a veil over her head like a like a dust cover or something. Right. And she's just sitting still. Just pretending he didn't fall she's, for she's it, another toy. But he sees her and he's like, Hmm, all these other things, strangely enough, look like toys. This looks but like Donald this Trump. This looks like an actual in a female body. Yeah. She does have that wacky hair. Yeah, she does. Um, and he pulls the veil off, and she basically immediately is like, wah, karate kick to the chest, and blah, blah, you know, starts doing flips, and I'm I'm going to nutcracker your head with my thighs, (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, she goes at him. Uh, in a, she in should a, be on a Wheaties box with some of the stuff that she did. It'd be like uh, fighting a Russian gymnast yeah. while having no gymnastic skills yourself and a gun. And guess what? Gun wins. Gun wins, and she dies exactly she, the same way she died in Kill Bill Like too. I mentioned it earlier, she runs to the <laughs> other side of the room so she could build up momentum in her flips. And right as she's approaching him on, like, flip number five or six, he Ka-plow! puts two rounds into her freaking chest. And then she does this crazy spasm. Oh, she does. That's, that's something did else. Did you see she, Kill Bill like, 2 when she had her eye removed? Uh, and it's the same thing. She danced the same way on the floor. I guess that's a thing. Hey, do that thing you did in Blade Runner. And she did that in Splash when she first got out of the water. No, I'm kidding. Was she pretending to be a fish? I think so. Splashing around? Yes. Yeah, like <laughs> Hold on, let me do that thing from Blade Runner. Splish, splash, splish, splash. <laughs> no, it, it was, it's something else. You can look up the scene, too. There's probably something on YouTube. If you really, 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 really don't want to watch this movie, which please do, just do it. Check then out you can at scene. least check out the, the final scene in the movie, the, the last uh, scene with uh, Pris and the last scene with Roy. Yeah. Because then Roy comes up. I guess he was downstairs. I don't know, getting groceries. Yeah, I don't I know what he was doing. He, he was, was probably getting some more of them dim sums down he there. He might have just, you know, the whole time uh, been coming home from killing Tyrell. Because I imagine, yeah, you know, that takes a big while. city. You got to take a lot of exits. Did he shoot Jr. I don't know what happened to Jr. He dropped him off somewhere. He's like, Jr. Some shit's about to go down at your apartment. Go, <laughs> some shit's gonna go, go down at your apartment. Go go down to Mr. Wong's, get yourself some uh, frozen eyeball treats, and <laughs> enjoy them. Definitely, yeah, you know, give us at Worms least and two hours. I'm thinking uh, two hours. It'll take us to toy with and eventually kill Deckard, mm-hmm. and then you can come back. And which and, means at the end of this movie, Jr. probably did come back and was just like, "Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> what have you?" done with the place well he didn't hurt the midgets and that's good who knows where a stray bullet went that's true i mean he made a new hole in his roof and his wall and his other wall he got blood everywhere and they made another hole in a wall he's just wrecking his walls they yeah, really he didn't like sticking walls. his head into things <laughs> he did <laughs> i don't know why he would do that I, maybe to show that uh he doesn't if, like tile? If there was no humor in this movie before, which there was very little, a lot of it was like stick-in-the-mud humor. It really was yeah. not, you know, punchline humor. Not at all. And it, it, the, at the end, Roy's battle, if you could even say it, with Deckard is, in a way, sadly hilarious. Yeah, you can realize within the first two, the, the first minute or so, you're like, oh, Roy is the battle bot. He's the battle model of the Nexus 6. He, they literally say it earlier, like, he's, he's a military-grade replicant. Yeah. He knows how to fight. And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> he's going to fight Deckard now, a mere human. And he, he gets the upper hand immediately, you know, uh, gets the gun away from him. And uh, breaks his fingers. Yeah, that had to hurt. Punches through a wall and and grabs him and pulls his arm through and then just holds it there. Deckard literally can do nothing. 
He's just he's just like, all right, I, what's what going to happen? What yeah, now? what's he going to do? And he just breaks two of his fingers. Not even all of them, just two of them, the pinky and the ring finger. He's going to take his and time. And then lets him go. And at that point, you're like, oh, he's he's toying with Deckard. He he's, can kill him at any moment. He, he could have just killed him then. Time. He's, he's totally going to do it. Two hours he promised JR is going to take. <laughs> exactly. He's like, you got to stay back for at least two hours because it's going to take me that long to kill this guy. Why? Fingers. I don't know. I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't know. Yep. And so at Deckard at this point, he does the smart thing. He, he runs. He's like, I am going to get the hell out of here. He runs through this hallway, down another hallway, through all these creepy, wet hallways. I, everything is wet. Everything is wet. Like a freshly you, washed You never bathroom. see a clear sky in this whole movie. No. It is raining half the time, and the other half of the time, everything had just been rained on. It is constantly wet in this version of L.A. It's amazing. Um, Roy, at this point, also starts to break down. He's finally realizing his date is... He, he's hitting the four-year mark. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if it's exactly four years. Like, you hit four years and you just start dying like a Duracell battery. Yeah. But it's... Yeah, he starts breaking down and his hand suddenly, like, cramps up. And He's and got the rigor mortis. He's got the rickets. Not, not the Rutger <laughs> Hauer's. I'm talking about the rigor mortis. He's got scurvy. He's got lockjaw. In his he's, hand. He's freezing up. Yeah. And so he's like, well, I, I still need my hand because I still got to mess with this guy. And this I don't so understand. He sticks a nail through his hand. How and does I that guess help? That, I don't know. There's, Wakes the nerves up? It, it's it's something. I don't know. He loosens it, it up the tendons. It causes locked jaw in the hand. Or, or rusty nail. I don't know. He, he sticks a, a big nail right through his hand. And he's like, ah, and he's got the crazy <laughs> That's face exactly on. That's the, exactly the look he had. <laughs> ah! crazy face and he goes after Deckard Deckard at this point he's climbing higher and higher he's, he's going he's for the on roof. the outside of a gargoyle yep, trying to he's climb climbing up, up the side roof. of the building he's almost slipping like every five seconds but then barely catching himself there's a nail biter yep and and Roy is like throwing his head through plaster walls like ha 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 <laughs> hey surprise. how you doing it's very Shining-esque you remember that yeah. face that um uh, uh Johnny yeah Johnny I was, I was actually looking for that. Like, Jack here's Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that crazen look. That's what Roy has the entire time he's going through. It's sort of battle. like an M. Emmett with the, uh, hey, do the triple Lindy. I was expecting that to come through the window. And he, he chases them all the way up to the roof. The yes. whole time, like being right there. And he could have gotten him so many times. Instead, he could have he, grabbed him while he was out of the window. He could have grabbed him through the yeah, wall again. Through the ceiling. Because he throws his head through the wall, and then you find out there's actually a door two feet to the right of that wall that he Whatever runs through makes the man after happen. he gives yeah. Deckard two-second head start again. So this is just a game of cat and mouse where the cat has no real interest in catching and finishing off the mouse. And then he finally gets onto the roof, and Deckard is is hanging there. Yeah. And there's this tense moment. It's raining, of course. Uh they're they're soaked. Deckard's got two bad fingers. He's trying to hang on to the ledge. With two fingers that are still good. And Roy is monologuing to him. Yeah. He is he is just, you know, like, ah, you know, it's sucks to know that you're about to die or something along those lines. Right. Something Again, that's very, that comes back into play. It's very poignant. It, yeah. it's, it's right to What's the point. What's it like living in fear? Of yeah. living. Or, some, you know, or something. Of dying, living in fear. I don't know, but I'm definitely going to quote what he says uh, at the very end in just one second. Okay. Um, and Deckard starts to slip. 
and you're like, oh man, is this is this movie actually going to end with the hero dying? And, and don't forget though that Roy all of a sudden has a bird in his hand. Not not yet. Doesn't Almost. He? Didn't he already have it by the time oh, he jumped yeah, from Wendell? Where the hell did he get the bird? Okay, so um, the whole reason Deckard is hanging on to the ledge is because he jumps a, a, a short gap between two buildings, yeah. and he, he only Almost barely grabs onto yeah. the edge. And that's why he's hanging there. And when you cut back to Roy, who's still on the other building, he suddenly has a dove in his hand. He has a toucan, Sam. He freaking straight up like fifth grade magic trick pulled that shit out of his butthole. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> Ta-da! That's what he said when he stuck I, his head through the I didn't see any wall. doves and the whole movie they're talking about like all the animals are fake because I guess most of them are extinct because humans suck. Like where did this <laughs> dove come from? Where? I have no clue how he did it. It's just you turned to I him. started clapping. They, they, You don't even show him grabbing it. No. Nope. At least not in the cut that I watched. And, and mine is, the I got the director's cut right here. And I watched the extended cut. So there's two different cuts right there. They both did not show him grabbing this freaking dove. Uh, someone on offset said, you know what? I have he's a great a, idea he's got a for dove the now. scene. It'll be so here, symbolic. Give, yeah. <laughs> give him the dove. So I brought in dove, Frankie from And he's holding home. it and he's not even being nice about it. He's like swinging it around like it's oh, yeah, a piece yeah. of freaking fried chicken. And I don't think the dove's happy about that. <laughs> the dove is like, hey, yo, hey, what, what are you doing? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his head going back and forth. And you could even tell it's a live dove, too. It is. still, like, trying to correct his you head. He's this. like, hey, you're moving a little bit too much here for me. You know? Yeah. And, and, yeah, so he jumps across, and right before Deckard falls, he actually catches him, saves him. And then, you know, uses his last bit of, like, strength to Catches him with the him. nail hand, too. With the nail hand. I guess still it was a the good, nail good thing that he put that nail yeah, or into his he, hand. He wouldn't have had any grip. He would have just fist bumped him on his way to his yeah, death. So you would have heard. You know. <laughs> oh, man. I knew I should have probably have stuck a nail through my hand. Gives you grip. Darn. So he catches him, saves him. Pulls him up onto the At which point Deckard is, is almost given up. He still backs up a little bit, backs up against a wall, and just looks up at Roy, expecting like, to be finished yeah, off. Yeah, what, what now? And then Roy just, and he's also confused. Deckard is like, wait, you could have just let me fall. Why save me? Yeah, exactly. And this is when, this is, this is one of my, fa- I, actually I would say it's probably the best part of the movie, which for me is rarely ever at the end of a movie. Right. It's usually somewhere in the middle of the movie during yeah. like this tense moment, sure. especially like when a hero f- f- you know, has that, that moment in his arc where, where all hope is lost right before the, the resurgence of faith, you know, like in movies all the time. Right. That's usually a favorite point for me in movies. And for most people, it's intended to be. But this is right at the end of the movie. And it's one of my favorite moments. I've seen things. You people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. And then Roy just slumps over and dies. 
And the bird goes... Yep, and the bird flies off into the sky, presumably to get hit by one of the police vehicles. Yep, feathers everywhere. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it symbolized to me the idea that Roy knew there was an inevitability to his death. Yeah. Maybe when he first stole that, you know, spaceship and, and killed all the people, he was being ruthless because he thought there was a chance he would live, that he could make it to Earth, that he could find the people that could fix him and his fellow replicants. But at live, this point, he's already started to break. He knows he's going to die. And he realizes there's no point in killing this last person. He probably also recognizes that of all the people he's come across so far, Deckard is the one that uh, has the best chance of not so much being a champion for the replicants, but at least being, uh, well, a sympathizer, I guess. Yeah, yeah, good, you know, good, well put. No one in the movie up to this point has, well, besides JR a little bit, but more so out of a, a morbid fascination with, you know, created beings same thing with tyrell he's like oh this is fascinating but there's no actual emotion behind it but deckard roy, roy picked up on deckard having those did. emotions having those emotions and and reluctance even uh, to kill to, right only he, only killing in self-defense really yeah well he, he knew maybe not that so much with zora he had a compassion for <laughs> well, I think he had a compassion for the fact that it's not their fault they exist. True. They yes. they are uh, they are created. They weren't. They had an inception. They weren't from conception. And also, they not only did they not have a choice in existing, but they are so damn close to being actual humans. Yeah. I mean, what really is the difference between a replicant and a human? The way they're manufactured. Yeah, that's true. That's pretty much it at that point. I was going to say midgets. Because they are flesh and blood. I thought that was the answer. One is engineered and the other one is random chance, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. With with two eyeballs. With enhancements, sure. And, you know. Wasn't that a Beatles song? (laughs) Two two eyeballs he got, moles and some boo he got. No, um, That's not the lyrics, is it? You no, know, no, nope. Mm, okay, I'm pretty sure not. Um, now, oh wait, you're talking about Juju eyeballs? Oh, ju- I got that all screwed up. <laughs> I thought it was Choo Choo. Um, now this Anyways. is where you and I differ towards the end of the film. Why is that? This is the scene that today got me stricken. That all right? What happens next? He goes home, freaking out. Rachel could be dead because her time could be up, too. Pulls the sheet off of her while she was in bed. Yeah, the police finally show up. I don't know if he radioed them ahead of time, and they were just like, well, let's see how this fight turns out. Uh, well, and they, who they was show on? Up, they and get James Almost the is up there. Yep, James, James Almost in the, in the vehicle. And he comes and says something along the lines of, uh, what's the point of being afraid of dying? Or living, afraid of living, one of the two. It says the same thing that all of the replicants have been saying. And then he, uh, What's-His-Face gets a look at... Uh, What's-His-Face? Decker gets a look on his face, and he freaks out, and 
goes home to see if uh, Rachel's still alive. Pulls the sheet down, puts his cheek to her cheek, and is like, oh, thank goodness, everything's fine. And then, in my director's cut, he takes off to go somewhere else, and I'm not sure. They take off. They take off. Together. Yeah. And, and and he goes upstairs, and there's a little tinfoil creature. Right which, outside of his door. That was yeah. a running thing. The guy was fidgety. And, James and almost always made things. things. Like, uh, I think it was like a gum wrapper at one point. He took a toothpick or something and made a little man. man uh, it was a it? matchstick. You're right. Yeah. He took a matchstick. He made like a little man out of it. And then as he's leaving the apartment in that last, last scene, he uh, he finds one of those little tinfoil like, gum wrapper unicorns right there, which says he was there. He was there. And he then- knew that that other replicant was there. And we don't know why he was there. But this is what I took this as, and you differ with me on this, and I have to I say I do, it. I do, I do. I have to say this. I think James almost is a replicant because Rachel lived. Rachel didn't die when she might have supposed to. Maybe he had the, the inception date or not. I don't know. But I think, at least the way I would like to think the movie ended, because I could be wrong, I normally am, that James almost is the last replicant because they're supposed to be five instead of four. And the reason I think that is because Deckard looks out and you can hear the words of James almost again repeated. And it is that same saying. He does. They, they take a little bit of a um, artistic liberty. Yeah. And then the movie closes in the director's cut. That, that is that director's cut version. I don't know if that's the same that you saw extended cut is almost exactly the same as the director's cut okay so it does end uh very similarly the only thing that i difference is uh or uh, differ with you is um you don't think that james is a i actually i i think it doesn't matter um he might be a replicant and it totally would make sense since he never actually engages in any of the blade running activities. And he's always like this weird enigma in his, with his cane and creativity. His, yep. And his weird, uh, his bizarre habit of, and his luscious eyeballs. What would you even call it? A, a tick, I guess. He has yeah. like this weird tick where he creates those little things and he leaves them behind and he's always talking so cryptically. So yes, it would totally make sense that he's a replicant, but it really doesn't matter at the end of the movie. Because but I think he's going to go get whether him. he was or wasn't, he still spared Rachel. Good point. And was you know he even said to him, you know, you better go get her. You never know how much more time you have, or something along that line. Yeah, he's that's like, the line. He's totally yeah. like he knows that Rachel is there with him, or you know, somewhere that he him. knows, and that you know, go go to her and and have your life. Do do whatever it is you're going to do for the the last remaining years that she's going to be around. So the bottom line to the entire film is obvious. You cannot make midget replicants. They crash into walls. They do. Yep. They're totally clumsy. Um, They they waddle like like penguins. You can't do it. Their noses are way too long. Yeah. You know what? I think actually, uh, I'm going to call it right here. I don't know if this is true. Someone could maybe tell me. Uh, I think that they gave that that tiny little replicant midget toy looking soldier guy a uh, super long nose as a, a kind of homage to uh, to Geppetto's workshop in Pinocchio. Amen. Yeah, totally. totally, it would agree make with sense. That. And uh, if not, uh, then that's what it is from now now on. And if the I other, it, that's the, what it is. That's definitely it. And and then lastly, to, uh, to end the story, if Daryl Hannah ever gets you in a leg lock. 
make sure you face her crotch. Yep. That's her weakness. That is her weakness. Just blow on her pris. <laughs> okay, so the final question. Well, one more thing I just want to mention. Oh. Hardcore shout out to the person that scored this movie. Mm. One Very of much the most so. amazing things about this is the slightly synthesized yet uh, yeah ac- there's a there's a chorus element to it the score of this movie sets a, a tone subconsciously in your mind that carries you through the amazing visuals that are there in front of your eyes amen it is a, the perfect complement to the 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 visceral gritty dark noir sh- uh, feeling of what you are seeing on screen, but in your ears. And on top of I, that... I think that was a proper sentence, but it might not have been. Hey, but I, I think you're I getting make... how much I am trying to tell you. Yeah. Uh, the name of the person that did the uh, the music on this is called uh, Vangelis, uh, with a super long... Get, go ahead and say the name, but don't say it three times, because oh, if you do, Bloody gosh. Mary shows up. All right. Evangelos Odysseus... Papa Thanasiao. I think I did that somewhat of a justice in an American accent. That was very so, well done. Yes. Uh, he, he's, it's from uh, Greek origin. Um, he does all different kinds of stuff. Uh, electronic, progressive, ambient, jazz. I got to tell you right now, the jazz element screams noir. Definitely. And this movie was intended to be a kind of... Mm, futuristic noir movie and the so like the old gumshoe you know oh yeah i'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna hunt down the the people and save the damsel uh type noir movie but in the you know semi-distant future, future exactly which is why everything is so dark and that's also why in the theatrical version of this the one that showed in theaters yes which is probably the biggest detriment of the movie itself Deckard actually voices over. He narrates the goings-on in the movie, like an old noir. You know, like an old, no, uh, you know, let's say a, a beautiful blonde comes to the, the door of some gumshoe's place and says, my husband's missing, you have to help me, sir. And, and then to. he'd be like, I ain't never seen a beauty like this before. And <laughs> exactly. she was pleading with me. And you know me. I just can't say no to a beauty like that. And but she he wasn't had saying legs anything. From here to New York City. She had legs from here to New York City, and then they kept going to upstate New York. <laughs> Clickety clack was louder than my watch on a Sunday after preschool. Yep, and what? It, it was it was I guess much closer to a noir, and everyone almost universally agrees that once they took that out, once they took out that voiceover. The movie spoke for itself it instead of immensely. them speaking for the movie. Again, not the giving movie, you anything. The Let movie was think. already doing it. Yeah, exactly. The visuals and the music of the movie were more than enough. And it was almost overkill in the sense that it literally killed the movie. People were just kind of confused. They, were, yeah. they didn't really know what they were watching it got. It wasn't received very well. It didn't do well in theaters. Well, people weren't intelligent enough to follow it, if I may say so. I'll I, be so bold. I think after it's a uh, smart man's movie, two thousand one, and uh, you know, Space Odyssey, and and Aliens, and all that stuff coming out. I think Star Wars people were ready for sci-fi like that. Yeah, 
it just, it didn't hit the right nerve. And it wasn't until they did, you know, 16 more cuts of the film until they got just they the right element. Fed. Yeah. So Vangelis's music, you know, look it up sometime. Just and one look point up I have that to, amazing ambient music. It's, it's great. I have to make that uh, there is a point in the film where Harrison Ford, Decker's playing piano to the song that is playing in the background. He yep, hits the he note totally twice. Does. And that's sort of a fourth wall break in the music department of this film, which I thought was awesome. A very subtle one. Very subtle. And it was beautiful. They, they also perfectly throw, hit. They also throw a little bit of music in there to very appropriate moments. Uh, there's a scene in which he's just kind of walking, uh, you know, through again, these, um, these amazing, elaborate, multi-layered, super busy streets and the scene of, of this, this overwhelming, uh, metropolis. And you just suddenly hear music like, uh, what would you call it? Um, you know, from like the 1950s, like this rhythm and swing music in the background, but it fits. Yeah, someone's just playing it on the radio, and you realize that this blend of the old adds to the newer with the modern, with the futuristic, with the crazy, uh, it works. Yeah, in this this, it's almost like uh, let's say you took a milkshake, right? Got it. You add some uh, Oreo cookie mm. crumbles in there, maybe then a few chocolate chips, mm. and maybe a little caramel. You give it a couple little swirls, and you start eating it. It's delicious, right? I'm loving it. Now, what happens if you take that thing, you put that in an industrial food processor, and you go for a minute, and you turn it into a freaking paste, which just tastes like all those flavors in like a like a paste. It's soft. It, it's I'd eat it. You, you still eat it, but it's like ugh. There's no, there's no texture to this. I'm not getting. Oh, different I'm not getting the nuggets of, of this. You're that, not getting yeah. the nuggets. You're not getting the texture. You're not getting more flavor in one bite than you are in the next. It's, it's homogenous. It's, it's like uh, I guess I like it, but mm, maybe it's, not it's, so much. It's a dead version of the. This movie is a milkshake that has been mixed right. Not one that was thrown into that freaking processor that McDonald's uses with that big, thick, round, cubicle, spoon. Stop over-mixing my goddamn McFlurries. McDonald's, no, you you guys, you're ruining McFlurries. Anyways. You okay? So, besides the point. Put the cat down. This movie... Is awesome. Yes, it is. Uh, this is definitely one of your favorite movies. Oh yeah, um, it's number three on my list of favorite movies of all time. Now that that you've eaten up no, quite wait. a bit of time it's on a milkshake uh, scenario, four. I have a question. Well, it doesn't matter. I have a question for you. Yeah. Should there be a sequel? Too late. There already. All is. right. And then the last question is, <laughs> and I can't wait to see it. I have not seen it yet. Ryan Gosling is p- playing, obviously. It's done by an amazing director. We could talk for hours about just a movie that we haven't even seen yet. Yeah. But I'm not going to bother. Dennis Villanueva. Very good. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm only reading it, guys. I never actually heard anyone (laughs) say his name. Uh, He wears a scarf. My boy Dennis. He's a scarf-wearing dude, so he's He also directed Arrival, so if you guys saw that movie recently, um, yeah, he directed that one as well. So you know he knows what he's doing. And he probably sets the tone for Blade Runner 2049 quite well. 
This last question for the meat of the podcast is useless. Whee! It's a useless question. Fine, ask it anyway. Would you have done anything different? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. No. And neither would have I. Let's see. Casting, pretty damn good. The visuals, pretty damn good. Director, pretty damn good. Music, pretty damn good. Yeah, I think the only thing I would have done is uh, just shown Roy actually grabbing that goddamn dove at the end of the movie. Why did it, why did it just appear in his hand all of a sudden? Come on, guys. I bet you that footage is somewhere on a cutting room floor, tucked in a corner. Some freaking Never maid showed up swept it up and was like, oh, nice a dove. I'm going to take this with me. <laughs> an Italian maid in the future. It was an Italian maid in, in 1981 when they were cutting this movie together. <laughs> oh, I see your point. I see your point. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe if I could have gone back in time, I would have been like, hey, guys, cut out the uh, cut out the narration. You'll do a lot better in the box office. Maybe we'll get a sequel sooner than 30-some-odd years later. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now it's time for the next movie choice. It's actually my turn. It is your turn. So you got do you, any options? Well, I think the movie I'm going to pick next, and it is my turn. Yes, and it thank is your you, turn. Thank you I, for I letting chose me Blade it. Runner, and now you're going to go, and we're going to go back and forth. Unless I overrule you <laughs> with this large stick that I have with a nail in it. Oh. But go ahead and tell me, and we'll see if I have to use the stick. I'm going to put my head up your dryer and pick The Shining. All right, I'm putting the stick down. No, thank God. I'm going to go ahead and take my the head Shining, out of here. The Shining, how interesting. Um, I actually had to write a bunch of stuff about The Shining when I took a film class in high oh school. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, we watched The Shining. You know, we watched some of the, the classics of the time, a lot of Ron Howard stuff. Wow. Um yeah, The Shining uh, was one of the movies that we uh, we watched. We talked about it forever. Maybe I'll, uh, when that one comes out, I'll, I'll tag uh, my old teacher, Mr. Russell. Shout out for you. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Then I'll be done. We'll, we're gonna I agree. Take care Let's of the do The Shining. Ladies and gentlemen, it brings us to the end of another fine theater cast. So thank you guys for listening very much. And we're going to end the show like we always end the show. Oh, Lewis. Join us next time when Lewis says... He says, are you a bread runner? <laughs> That's not racist. It's just a quote, but... <laughs> All of Zerbinator's music and podcasts are under the Creative Commons license, which allows retelling and rebroadcasting as long as the author is notified and credited. For more great escape pods, please visit www.zerbinator.wordpress.com. If you would like to contact Zerbinatorland, you can send an email to instrumentally at gmail.com or give us a call at 571-408-CERB or 9372.